1: I just want
0: to note that today is the first time that I've introduced myself with my legal name in three years because I'm terrified to share my name. Because the digital footprint I had no control over exists.
1: I apologize. That's 24-year-old Cam Barrett, testifying in front of Washington state lawmakers earlier this year. Cam was there to support a bill meant to protect kids from being exploited online by their parents. It's a deeply familiar problem for Cam, whose mother constantly shared intimate details about them on social media, beginning when Cam was like nine years old. At the time, the oversharing included chronicling Cam's first period. The posting continued after that, causing real harm. At
0: 12, I received a DM from a man who I didn't know who saw me riding my bike and told me he followed me home.
1: Cam's experience contracting a MRSA infection in high school and subsequent hospitalizations were also chronicled in detail on social media.
0: But because of her mother's posting about it, um, when she went back to school, no one wanted to sit near her. Even a teacher made her sit at a separate desk. um, And she she ultimately did drop out of high school.
1: That's Katherine Lindsay, a freelancer who writes about technology and culture. She recently wrote about young people like Cam for The Atlantic.
0: Growing up through her childhood, I think it just was very normal for her mom to to, to share what was going on without without anyone really knowing the way it was going to affect real life.
1: The so-called Facebook generation is reaching adulthood, and they're increasingly horrified at all the stuff their parents have posted about them, often without their knowledge or consent. Some parents share the intimate details of their children's lives. Others try to monetize content. For Cam, the posting kept getting worse. At 15, I was in a car accident in which the fire department had to come with the jaws of life to remove a car door off of my leg. Instead of a
0: hand being offered to hold, a camera was shoved in my face.
1: Cam's testimony in Washington ended with an impassioned plea to lawmakers.
0: Mr. Chairman and ranking members of the committee, I plead you to be the voice for this generation of children because I know firsthand what it's like to not have a choice in which a digital footprint you didn't create follows you around for the rest of your life with no option for it to be removed.
1: So today on the show, the Facebook generation is all grown up and trying to take back their digital identities. Is it too late? I'm Emily Peck Before the advent of social media, embarrassing photos of you as a child were largely hidden away on old-timey physical media like video cassettes, remember those? Or DVDs or photo albums, all in the privacy of your own home. But when Facebook took hold in the mid-2000s, it made it easy to share your life and your child's life with anyone you wanted to be connected with. This led to parents posting, some would say overposting, about their children. It's a phenomenon that came to be known as sharenting.
0: So it's um basically using platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok um, as your family's photo album. Um, I mean, you know, there there are layers to it, like there are people who are just truly just using it because they wanna they wanna document, and this is how we document things now. Um there are obviously more sinister things at play that come into this in terms of likes and engagement and algorithms and where that content goes. There's also the element of some people can monetize this. Um, but sharenting in general is can range from just just posting your children very candidly in a way that doesn't take into an awareness of the permanence of it. And I think also it a big part of it is if your children become kind of content for you to post and you're manipulating situations or capturing things like tantrums or um being being really vocal about like potty training or something because you're making content about it and it and it gets it gets engagement um kind of at the expense of that child who's going to be like, you know, I kind of wish my potty training wasn't documented Instagram story by Instagram story. <laughs>
1: Right. Or you mentioned um, parents sharing stories of when their kids are in puberty or like getting their period for their first time. I can't imagine anything more humiliating than having that be public information as a 13 year old.
0: When you bring someone else into the world and in your family dynamic, I think your social media is not isolated anymore. Like, you know, if you go to express frustration or worry or whatever about your children, um, it is very likely that you're that's not like a conversation that's being had among, like, you know, like even like a parenting group, if you're posting it publicly, your child is then going to become an adult and and see those things. And it's going to, this thing that was not intended for them as an audience, they now kind of carry with them. Um, and it, And so it's like, I understand the motivations of the parents, like totally, but I think all this was happening before children grew up, before we knew sort of, tangibly, they're going to see this, they're going to be affected by it. Um, and so now it's kind of causing a sort of larger shift in rethinking of how parents talk about their kids, share their kids on social media, because sort of for the first time we are seeing children speak for themselves and say, this is how this affected me.
1: Did this really start with Facebook, like back in 2007, 2008? So those are the kids now... Sp- speaking out and they're entering adulthood basically.
0: Yeah. Facebook, Facebook is the biggest one because I also just think sharing, like sharing uh, family photos on Facebook is kind of like what Facebook turned into. (laughs) It's not Instagram and, and the demographic is, is older. Um, and so it's grandparents sharing photos or it is, it's, it's families sharing, you know, the news like Facebook is a place for big life events and children are big life events. Um, and I think, especially when it was new and shiny, in a you know, from like probably two thousand six, two thousand ten, time was when the posting kind of first started. And so the you know the children of that age, not necessarily full infants, but you know, young enough to still not be um, super aware of what was happening, are now entering adulthood, entering the workforce, and just are much more literate in the idea of a digital footprint and and. I probably, you know, are not only kind of are probably reckoning with their own teenage angsty posting type of stuff that like, I feel like a lot of millennials had to deal with. There's also the stuff they didn't post that they have no ability to go back and delete. Um, And if they wanted to, it would be maybe a bit of an awkward conversation.
1: At the heart of this issue is a generation gap. When Facebook launched, parents didn't understand the ramifications of posting on social media. No one really did. It was wholly new. But kids who grew up online, they get it. They know how important it is to have control over your digital identity. The trouble is convincing parents that oversharing is not okay.
0: That's an intimidating conversation to go to your own parents, especially if you're like 13 and be like, "I'm you did something that hurt me. That's probably very difficult to do. So I would say it's more millennial parents who are, who are newly parents who are now armed with the knowledge that certainly not their parents had about what social media was like, uh, their, their parents never had it an adolescence on social media, mm-hmm. but millennials did millennial. Like I think probably my earliest social media footprint is like my space in eighth grade. And I'm like aware that there's, I'm like so glad that my space is like pretty inaccessible at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, Know the feeling of having something online that I didn't want online, and and so do a lot of other new millennial parents. And so, like I, I spoke to a parent who they just decided that that was not going to be something they were doing and posting photos of their children. They posted a few, but they um the face is either obscured by something like an emoji, which is very popular, yeah. um or just is angled in a way where you don't you don't see the child's face. Um, and so I think it's more on the parents to kind of notice this and start changing. It's a much taller ask to ask children to confront their own parents about this, um, something that the parent could react poorly to.
1: (laughs) How are kids reacting? I've been reading some kids, you know, they hit 11, 12, 13, and then they realize that this has been happening. It's like this huge revelation, almost like learning you were, not like learning you were adopted. You know what I mean? It's just like a whole, there's this whole other thing that's been going on. I had no idea about, Um, are they confronting parents? I spoke to
0: you for the piece, the CEO of the Family Online Safety Institute. His name's Stephen Balcom. And he categorized that moment right there. And I thought it was very interesting as a digital coming of age, which is mm. when you reach the age to have the awareness that all this stuff exists. And it's like, I've talked about it and I've written about it. And I still it's something I cannot conceptualize what it would feel like because like because we just don't have any equivalent, because I'm lucky enough that. I was in. I've always been in, anything bad of me that was put on social media was put there by me, um, not my parents. So, it's a whole
1: other episode, probably.
0: Yeah. Um, so in in this conversation with Stephen, he was talking about that this realization I think comes about because of what we were speaking about earlier is that they'll they'll realize it's accessible by other people because it'll be like, accessed by their classmates, um, or they'll they'll just start to see that other people can can find these images of them, and then it starts getting pieced together that that is all there. They had no part in it. And um, unless they feel comfortable sitting down with their parents, they have no part in deleting it. And something that he advocated for was just parents making that be an open line of communication. Like it's, I think like, you know, if you want to post pictures of your children on social media, which I don't think is a blanket bad thing, you just need to also be open to make sure the child feels um, that there is space for them to, if the thought occurs to them that they don't want the photo up there anymore, they should feel comfortable coming to you about that. Um, so like, like as, as, as as much as there are tears for the types of sharing there's also sort of (laughs) tears for ways of being thoughtful about it. Um, and I think I don't want anyone to take away that the answer is you can't post anything. Um, Mm -hmm. because I get that there is an inherent joy in sharing these things and, and, um, something that, It's one of my favorite quotes from the pieces from Sarah Peterson, who is an author of a book called mom fluence that she was saying that parents, especially mothers um, in the U S there's no, they don't get bonuses or raises. They don't really get any reward for their hard work. The only thing they have is proof of their hard work is the child. And social media is a place where you can put proof of that hard work online and get that external reward. You can get people saying, Oh, so cute. Or like, Like Even just giving it a like, getting that approval of what you're doing as a mother, as a parent, that is like such a valid draw. And we don't have a system other than that in place to get that same type of appreciation for their work. And so I totally understand why you would want to put something on social media. You want to participate in a culture that is doing this because everyone's doing it. And so you're going to feel very isolated if you suddenly cut that part of your life off. And so it's, it's definitely not an easy choice to make.
1: Yeah, and you even I believe had an example in your story of a woman in LA who, who doesn't want to share her you know images of her kids on social media, and and people are like giving her you know guff for it. Basically, it's such a weird
0: thing. Like when we talk about how everyone's doing it, it because it's like not only do you feel this pressure, I think t- to do it, like that's not made up. Because she was talking about how when you know. It, she's had to sort of talk about this boundary with other people. And one of the weirdest things she said happened was that someone who she was talking to about it kind of asked her why she had never posted her child on social media in a way that insinuated that there, was there something wrong with her child? And so she was keeping her child like secret. Like there was, (laughs) that was the first thing they thought of versus just there being a boundary. Um, There is a real sense of entitlement to other people's children in a way that I don't super understand and I more so understand it which is something that I I know Christine and I spoke about I don't think it fully made it into the piece but just of her own parents um want to post her gra- because that's their grandchild and right. they're on Facebook with other grandparents who are sharing their grandchildren and they want to be able to share their own and why can't they you and your partner and your child you know can all make the collective decision about what you want to do with social media, but you're not the only ones with phones. There's it's not in a vacuum like everyone else has a phone, parents have expectations, people have expectations. It's it's not an easy decision to make.
1: When we come back, if you thought Facebook was bad, just wait for TikTok. The rise of platforms like TikTok are making the sharenting problem worse. With Facebook, you created a network of friends, family, whoever, that guy you worked with 10 years ago, and you shared your life with just them. But now we have algorithms that are designed to get your content in front of as many eyes as possible. And a temper tantrum caught on video can reach audiences far and wide, often to sharp criticism.
0: So TikTok honestly was the reason I first started wanting to write this because this is not a new conversation. This conversation has been about children and social media has been happening for a while. But one of the things mm-hmm. that really struck me about TikTok that is different from all their social media is because it, it all comes down to audience and and who you're showing your content to. Um, and on Instagram, even if you're public, you're pretty much showing up in the feeds of the people who follow you. On TikTok, mm-hmm. that is not just the case. TikTok, no matter how many followers you have, you can have zero. TikTok will shoot your video in front of millions of people if it triggers the algorithm in that way. And so now that you know especially Instagram has moved into being more discovery based now the move for social media is not connecting one on one with other people it is you being a billboard in front of strangers and how many strangers will Instagram put your billboard in front of and so when that's a child that becomes a lot more dangerous um so TikTok I honestly personally don't know if there's any contained way to post on that app um it it it's such a luck of the draw and I think the risks far outweigh the rewards of documentation. <laughs>
1: yeah. One thing I was thinking about when you were talking about why why parents do this and like you want to fit in with the other parents, everybody's doing it, you want to you want to like show off your your kid and show off your parenting. And I was thinking about how like when when you have like a baby and when the kids are little, they're just like part of your identity. So you're posting about them the way you would post about yourself, not really thinking like this is a separate person how would they feel if I, how would you, like this tantrum of the four-year-olds, that's their worst day of their life. Right, right. (laughs) How would you feel if someone posts your worst day of your life on social media for a lot of of people to see? And then it seems like this digital coming of age is that disconnect when like this, the kid's finally asserting himself or herself as like this separate person. And that's like where it's happening.
0: Yeah, no, that's such a good point because also during like early motherhood that is your identity for that time because it is like all consuming work and there's really it would be difficult to separate yourself from it on social media if you wanted to continue to post normally yeah motherhood in itself is such uh such an identity and social media is really like really about identity too and so when those come together I think it's like two very fraught um things which then in the case of this ends up sort of potentially hurting another
1: small person who will become a large person. There is legislation in a couple of states aimed at protecting kids from being monetized by their parents online. But if the content isn't making money, there's little to protect the intimate details of kids' lives
0: the closest thing that exists is not applicable in the United States, but it's in in places like Europe is called the right to be forgotten. Um, And it is, it's not a privacy law. It's a law about specifically information that was public that you'd like to not be public anymore, but it's, it's not in the United States at all, let alone like anything focused on children. And for when, when it comes to like the basics, um, the platforms, like, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, um, Facebook, they, they all, ha- they do have set rules. You know, theoretically, you're supposed to, you can only sign up if you are 13 um, on Instagram. If a child has an account, that's being, like, run by a parent, which is a, a thing. Um, yeah. The parent, it has to be stated in the bio really clearly that it's run by a parent and who the parent is. Things, like, outright, you know, violence, nudity, it's the child nudity. Um, the, the real, like, black and white issues are against the rules. But the stuff that's more gray area, like someone throwing a tantrum, someone just talking about potty training, someone, like, a early video of me, I'm, like, smearing food all over myself, like that doesn't violate any rules and Mm -hmm. um and we don't know it's also not like guaranteed harmful like maybe no one will find it or maybe the child will grow up and think it's funny but we just don't don't know so right now it really just comes down to like parents being able to resist the to, to just think broader than just the post
1: it strikes me as so interesting um We've done some shows, and there's been tons of coverage of lawmakers who are now so concerned about protecting children from social media, right? Keeping them off social media, banning TikTok. Meanwhile, who is protecting us from the parents? Yeah, yeah. Who is protecting the children from the parents on social media? Um, It doesn't seem like this is going to be a a job that lawmakers will tackle,
0: right? Because I mean that the Surgeon General just came out about all the mental health links, and Mm -hmm. I think. A, a, a huge one is about identity and like you know it we, it very broadly talks about things like depression and anxiety but it's like what are those things about like and I and I think identity and because social media is now for you know teens it is going to be kind of like the main platform of life <laughs> like like I we've been growing up kind of with it being more and more juggled and now especially with the pandemic like that is what life is now and how you appear on social media for all intents and purposes is how you are when it comes to like your professional life and just like how you're seen by other people, they're probably first and foremost going to see you online before they ever see you in person. Um, And so that creates a lot of anxiety. And then, you know, you can get all these other things like is the identity created by the parent, one that the child still identifies with in terms of like, even like gender or, um, or just in terms of how they present themselves. Um, Does it match how they actually feel as an adult? Um, And do they, have the power to change it. In some cases, maybe not at all.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I wanted to ask you about that. It's like if, if a child has had their lives posted about on social media and their identity has already been created for them, do they have no identity when they finally show up on social media or do they feel like disconnected from their identity? How does that?
0: I know. Work? Well, so it's funny. I actually wrote a piece for the New York Times. It's like adjacent to this about parents who are basically creating accounts, social media accounts for their children, um, when, right when they're born, so they can lock down the handles, um, Mm -hmm. and, and and similarly, it varies, but in many cases, it is with the sort of hope that they will hand it off to that child when they come of age, whatever that age (laughs) is, um, and so that child has, like, a huge digital footprint, but, like, like, you're saying, like, are they inheriting an identity that they're comfortable with, um, or even honestly, I'm like, this is the first time I'm thinking about it. Even if the parent wipes it all, it seems almost just as kind of like overwhelming to get a blank slate and have to immediately yeah. define yourself then and there. I mean, that is like a wider effect of social media on identity. But um, either way, I think it doesn't help to have all of these sort of digital artifacts so so closely tied to you, ones that you had no control over.
1: I feel like the way we're talking about it we're saying this is, you know, harmful and invasion of privacy. But I mean, if you pull back a little, maybe it is kind of harmless. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I know it's embarrassing to have the picture of you with the cake smeared on your face now, but like probably in 20 years, you'd be like, I was such a cute kid or, you know, um, maybe it's just the, the, it's just a problem of parents not being concerned about their kids' privacy, but then again, it's 2023. Does anyone have privacy anymore?
0: Right. Yeah. I know. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're posting just sort of regular photos, family photos, like if you're not doing any sort of the more act like actively harmful children as content stuff, it's like, I would say more than likely going to be fine. Um, I think it's also a little bit more an awareness that we just don't, we don't know how social media is going to change. Like when these first parents were posting, they had no idea that any of this stuff they were posting lasted beyond kind of the 10 minutes when it was posted and they got all the feedback. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's only now that we know, okay, Facebook's still around, Instagram's still around, and these things show up in Google searches. And so that was something that uh, the parent in LA, Christina and I talked about was that like, 10 years ago, she had no conception of what social media was going to be like now. And so there's no way she can can have any idea of what it's going to be 10 years from now. And so like with that in mind, she's kind of just better safe than sorry. Um, and so I think it's just how much risk are you willing to um, accept? And I think what's most important rather than kind of doing this guessing game that's going to be like impossible to know what the right answer was until it's too late. It's just make keeping that dialogue open with your own child about what it is they're comfortable with in that moment. And just so you can know that you always were responsive to their wishes. um, And that it was something that they felt comfortable coming to you about because now we are kind of juggling two different identities. And when you're raising a child, you're going to be juggling both them offline and online too, which is really weird to think about. But I think the more open the conversation is, the less the less anyone should worry that there's going to be some looming consequence that comes out of nowhere.
1: Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Catherine Lindsay is a freelance writer covering technology and culture. She also writes the newsletter Embedded. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.